Rafer? Yes. Have you ever donated sperm? Well, Kristen, I guess we know each other well enough at this point for me to answer that question. Um, uh, technically, I have. Uh, oh, to, really? Yes, to create my firstborn child. Oh, come on, Rafer. Well, what? It's the same. Oh, freak- cut it it's out. The same Mr. process. Touchy feely. Oh, uh, no, I'm it's just, not the same process. Let me. Oh, tell let me. You. Let me just. Let me just tell you. It was. It was no more romantic than your average sperm bank donor. I'm guessing. Boy, that was a humiliating experience. Was somebody else in the room with you? They might as well have been. God, that was so awful. It was so. They give you a bunch of porn. It puts you in a room. Do they ask what kind of porn you're into? Do they say, like, are you more into butts or boobs? Yeah, they are give you a whole a... bunch of porn. I was like, mm, do you guys have any more butt porn? Where's that <laughs> butt porn you had last time? Because I had to do it more than once. Ah, oh, and you got to ask the nurse. And the nurse says, oh, yeah, sh- I'm so sorry. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> it's, it was, that, was re- that was really one of the most sort of humanity-stripping experiences I have ever gone through. Do you have? I did it for my kid. Do you have low motility? Is that why? Did you have to? <laughs> you know what? It was one of those mysterious things. One of those mysterious things. They couldn't answer why. And then we had uh, we had William, my firstborn. A couple years later, we thought, all right, look, we're going to let God roll the dice with the universe. We're going to pull the goalie, see what happens. And in three months, my wife was pregnant. With Nicholas. Yeah, with Nicholas. Wow, that's first, amazing. First time. Two, almost three years. Holy Toledo. Second time, bang, done. Wow. And now you have these beautiful kids. When I want to, I can be fast. (laughs) I'm I'm sure your wife really appreciates that. (laughs) And I'm so sorry. Well, it's your fault for asking the question, Kristen. (laughs) Well, obviously, I'm asking you this question, not out of the blue and not to humiliate you, but because... There's a big movie release this week called Delivery Man. I'm going to have some questions for you about this movie, too, Kristen. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to answering those questions. I'll deliver. But first... Ho! <laughs> ah, oh. Whoa! First, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Ray for Guzman, film critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Date. Boom, boom, boom. You, giving your love to me, special delivery. So the first movie we're going to talk about... That prompted your completely invasive question. Mm, you Kristen. love answering those kinds of questions. I do. I kind of do. <laughs> um, is Delivery Man with Vince Vaughn. This is a movie that probably everyone knows about by now. It's been pretty well advertised. But um, it's got a simple, irresistible premise. So so simple and irresistible that it's just built right into the best clip we could find. Here you go. Certain complications arose. Uh, which meant that for a period, um, Mr. Grabowski-Levitt gave your sperm to all the women in his clientele. You have sired 533 children, and 142 of them wish to know your identity. What? You are the biological father of 533 children. There it is. That's the premise. And, of course, what happens afterwards is Vince Vaughn, as David Wozniak, goes on to... Maybe try and get to know a little bit without revealing his identity, get to know these kids that he has sired. And uh, part of his motivation for doing that is because his girlfriend, Emma, played by Colby Smulders, has also gotten pregnant. And she does not believe that he is father material. Little does she know. So he's going to try and prove her wrong. That's that's the hook. It's a it is it is a great 
slam bang hammer of a premise. What? No, no I, do, I do have to say, at first the title, I was like, Delivery Man? He was never there with any of these kids. He didn't deliver any of them, <laughs> which I think hmm. there's a big difference between siring a child and fathering a child. Well, there certainly there's is. There's a big, big difference here. And I have to point out, the main deliveries he does in the movie, he delivers meat for his father's butcher shop. Right. He's a, he's and, a truck driver. Yeah. He's you know a 40-something guy who still kind of works for his dad. And I say kind of because he's the worst employee of all time. Right. Very, very, <laughs> right. very bad. Yes. Um, so... I know you are curious about my thoughts on this, Rafer, because you and I were talking about this earlier. You want to know how I feel as an adopted person. Is that right? Yes. And here's part of the reason why. There's a, there's a lot of uh, talk in this film about the kids uh, who really want to know their biological father's identity. It, it seems to be super, super important to them, and they seem to be very um, – their, their identity seems rather wrapped up in it in a, in a way that I, th- I thought was kind of interesting. And I wanted to know what you made of that because we do have, you know, that's 142 of these, of these kids. The message comes across, you know, fairly repeatedly that it's very important for them to know. So what did you think? Well, that seems like a ratio that makes sense to me, actually. I mean, hmm. I'm adopted. I know lots of other people who are adopted. Uh, I have an older sister who's also adopted. And she was interested in finding her biological parents. And... Um, then I know other adopted people who, like myself, eh, we don't really care. You were not, it was not a big deal to you? No, no. It's never been something that I feel I need to complete myself. But mm-hmm. I totally understand other people who do feel that way, like my older sister. I totally get that that's part of them. And she totally gets my point of view. She doesn't think I'm wrong. She doesn't mm-hmm. think something's wrong with me because of that. She just thinks everyone's built different, what they need in life, what they want to know, what they need to know. Yeah. It's different things, yeah. you know? And so for me personally, the way I feel about this whole anonymous sperm donor thing. Um, I do have friends who in recent history have gotten pregnant through sperm donations. Mm -hmm. And these friends actually did have frank talks with me about it as an adopted person. So you're not completely out of the line of normality out there, Rafer, and asking me about this. They had the same talk with me. They said, you know, as an adopted person, I'm just curious, how do you feel about anonymous sperm donors? And I said to, it's a few people I know who've done this. I, I said to all of them, I would recommend having open sperm donors. You would. Just just in case your kid is not like me. What if your kid is one of the kids who later on wants to know more information? What if your kid ends up being that person who always feels an empty hole in their heart because Mm -hmm. they can't – they don't have that information? Not everyone's like me. Um, There are members of my family that that have that. Uh, open, an open an open adoption, and they know their biological parents as well, and they are in in, in somewhat regular contact with them. Um, I, I, yeah, I guess I guess it just depends. But what did you think of the movie overall as a as a as a comedy, as a Vince Vaughn comedy? I know you're not the hugest Vince Vaughn fan. Yeah, I mean, one of my problems with Vince Vaughn is he tends to just be the guy who yells a lot. Remember the hmm. internship that yeah, movie I, that was earlier yes. this year? Yes. And all he said repeatedly was, upload it onto the... Onto the I was just going to say, <laughs> that, that bugged you, which I thought was hilarious. He was the old guy at Google who couldn't get the terminology right, and he kept saying, we're going to upload it onto the line. It's yes. going to, when it gets on the line... And, and, the, and then he just repeated himself and kind of yelled the line really, really loudly for I about it, 30 times in a row. I thought that was and, funny. And that's kind of how I see Vince Vaughn's comedy. And I was actually happy in this movie to see... Oh, you know what? He's being a little bit more nuanced. He's not just mm. yelling and repeating himself. And for that, I'm happy. Okay. However, the movie seemed a little bit trite. Not, oh, yeah. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. And <laughs> um, 
there were a yeah. couple of moments that were heartwarming, but mostly it was just not funny to me. And yeah. I really, really think if you're going to go see a Vince Vaughn comedy with this awesome premise, it should be funny. You want it to be funnier. Um, yeah, it's much more of a heartwarming comedy than it is a comedy with some heartwarming moments. In, you know what I mean? It's uh, the 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 ba- the balance is probably on the is probably on the the, the cockle warming and not not so much on the. <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of what you'd call kind of broad comedy. There's no slapstick. There's not even what you would call any kind of situational comedy in it. Really, a, a, aside from the enormous situational premise. Yes, but I, I you know. This this is a remake, as you know, as you know, Kristen, but maybe other people Starbuck. don't, of Starbuck, which is a French-Canadian film from a couple of years ago, but it, it snuck into U.S. theaters earlier this year, like about six months ago. And the same writer-director just simply remade it. Um, scene for scene and line for line. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much with very few tweaks. One of the ki- In the original, I think one of the kids is a soccer player. In this one, he's a basketball player. That's about it. But... Oh, and also, um, in case anyone's curious, uh, Vince Vaughn does use the same anonymous handle, Starbuck, and and but never explains where it comes from. It was a it was a famous Canadian bull in the maybe in the eighties who was famous for siring a cabillion you know children. Ooh. So that's where the name Starbuck comes from. I, I think most Americans are going to go see this and keep thinking, what's the connection with the coffee? What's the coffee connection? I I was just presuming because you have to fill a cup. <laughs> wow. Wow, isn't Kristen. that a weird stretch of a? It Sorry, seem... FCC. Um, yeah, you know what? That hadn't occurred to me. I have kind of a dirty mind. I'm surprised. I know it didn't you're occur thinking of that frothy milk on top. Oh boy! Oh, oh that's another ten thousand bucks right there from the F- <laughs> to the FCC fine. Okay, uh, all right, soupy sales. So, <laughs> so what I thought about this movie ultimately was, I thought it was really trite, really predictable, really corny. Not, you never think where's where's the little where's the little one drop of rain that's going to fall into this sunshiny life? It never really comes, but ultimately it won me over. Oh, and I kind of thought, is that, you is know, that the what? dad in you, the you dad know, in you felt the love. It's not so much the dad in me, but there there for all the all the syrup in this movie, they really are. There really is a genuine sense of heart that its intentions seem good it just has kind of a feel good attitude that doesn't seem fakey fake to me and ultimately i kind of thought oh why be a grouch this is perfectly okay this is an okay date <laughs> you know i'm not disagreeing with you i'm saying it's fine all right it's I, fine. Think, I think that's i think we both agree it's pretty much fine <laughs> so you know and hey what you know what the heck it's a good a good holiday season movie so all right the next the next film i'm so sad to say that i did not see this kristen so i'm depending on you christmas candle I am so sad you didn't see this also because I just think we would have so much fun talking about this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm and, sorry. And, and first of all, everybody who has listened to this podcast for the last few years knows I love Christmas. You sure I do. I love Christmas so much and I love Christmas movies. I love Christmas. So this is a Christmas movie with a very special pedigree to it. Okay. The production team behind this movie is Rick Santorum's production yeah. team. He of the sweater vest, which you love. I Rafer, love the you sweater, love sweater vest. vest. Does anyone in this movie wear a sweater vest? <laughs> Sadly, there are no sweater ah, vests. But there's a reason why, because this is a period drama. This is taking place in the 1800s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it looks like a little Hummel Hallmark card sort of thing. And then you have, making her acting debut in it, Susan Boyle of Uh-oh. Britain's Got Talent fame. Uh-oh, okay. It's so good. Okay, I'm going to play a clip. Off with that muddy coat. 
Did you crawl all the way from London? <laughs> Come on, breaches too. You're not the first clergyman I've seen in his underpants. <laughs> I'll just get these cleaned up. Welcome to Gladbury, Reverend. So we have a big city reverend from London who goes to a small town to be the pastor of this little church in this tiny town. Now, this town has a legend that goes back a long time. Okay. Every 25 years, the candle maker in this town gets visited by an angel of God. This angel of God blesses one of the candles that the candle maker makes, mm -hmm. and the candle maker gives that candle away every 25 years when it comes, and the person who receives that candle and lights that candle gets their Christmas wish to come true. Oh, boy. Yes. But here's the problem. The reverend who comes to town has a different idea of how faith works and how miracles work. Rather than that candle... He believes that miracles are about how we help each other, thus the clash in the story. I see. Yes. So I'm not going to tell you what happens. You're going to have to go see it for yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> you're going to say it's so worth it because Susan Boyle, with the voice of an angel, uh -oh. sings beautifully in this. Okay. One thing, you haven't, one thing you have not told me here is, is this film any good? Can, any, can Susan Boyle act? Isn't this beside the point? <laughs> you already heard the premise of how this whole company was set up by nice Rick Santorum dodge. and nice how dodge, Susan Kristen. Boyle is in it. Mm. I, I'm just going to say, this is such corny, good, period drama fun. You're going to have a great time. You're going to laugh. Everybody's named Ruth Compassion Heart, John Goodfellow. They all have names like this, and you know who's a good oh, and a bad guy based on their names. It, oh. it is just corny as heck. And I'm going to say this is a pretty good date. The Christmas candle. That's right, folks. Good date. Okay, Kristen. I got nothing to say on that one, do I? <laughs> no, but I bet you have stuff to say about Hunger Games Catching Fire, the second installment in our Hunger Games trilogy. You know I do. So this is obviously the big box office uh, beast this week. Jennifer Lawrence returns as Katniss Everdeen. Uh, Josh Hutcherson returns as Peter Malark, her maybe boyfriend and survivor of the previous Hunger Games in the tyrannical regime of Panem. But this time, they're being brought back in by the evil President Snow, played by none other than Donald Sutherland. He thinks that Katniss is becoming a bit of a populist icon, that maybe she might be fomenting rebellion in the regime of Panem. And he's thinking if he forces her and Pita to compete in what's called the Quarter Quell with past Hunger Games victors who are older, smarter, more experienced, maybe she'll just be put out of his misery. Here is a clip. You haven't heard people, Katniss. You've given them an opportunity. They just have to be brave enough to take it. We have to go, Kale, before they kill us. They will kill us. What about the other families? Huh? The ones who stay. What happens to them? People are looking to you, Katniss. I don't want anyone looking to me. I can't help them. Now, Kristen, I think you and I both liked the first Hunger Games, oh, correct? Oh, yes, we did. Yeah. I really, you know, and you also know I loved the books. I read all yes. three of the books in about a week. I just loved these books. Love a strong female hero, as you know. Always Indeed. into a strong female hero. And I will say, this second installment might not be the easiest to follow if you haven't seen the first movie. I would agree. Um, but I think that's always the curse of the middle movie. Um, right. Empire Strikes Back is very famous for that. Um, yep. But it's always the curse of the middle movie. What is going on here? But yep. I would recommend seeing the first one. And this movie, I would say, 
if you've seen the first, this is actually a better movie, in my opinion. I think it looks better. I think the first one had a lot of problems with CGI and green screen stuff just looking a little too fake. Hmm, okay. Um, and I would say that this time around, it just seems more nuanced and it seems more adult. It seems less like good guy versus bad guy, but that there's different layers with people. And you see that with some of the secondary characters like um, – Hamish Abernathy who is uh, played by Woody Harrelson. He's, he's the, the mentor basically to Peta and to Katniss. Yeah, he, yeah he, I thought his performance was a little less loony in this one and a little more grounded and more you – kind of, you, could, you could empathize and relate to him slightly more in this one. I'm also thinking of Elizabeth Banks as Effie, who is their chaperone. She's much more nuanced. I mm-hmm. think all the characters this time around have more layers to them than in the first movie. What did you think of, because this was the big news for this movie, the addition of Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, <laughs> as playing the role of Plutarch Heavensby, who is the new game maker because Wes Bentley got killed in the last one. All right. I, I will say this. Every time he was on screen, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed because it just felt like... Philip Seymour Hoffman said, fine, I'll be in your movie, but I'm not going to dress like it, and I refuse to do my hair like it. <laughs> That's so true. I hadn't even thought about that, but you, you, you definitely nailed that one. Um, yeah, well, I think when you've got a franchise like this, I think Harry Potter kind of set the standard for this. You just you want people to take it seriously, and so you want to pack it with as many A-list, Oscar-winning, you know, high-caliber actors as you can. And... I think because this one is so youth-oriented and there aren't that many adult roles really to be played, uh, The Hunger Games doesn't have that much room for those kind of, doesn't, you know, you can't fit an Alan Rickman and a Helena Bonham Carter and, you know, uh, Ian McKellen and whoever in there. So I think, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is kind of their first big get for the franchise. You know, he's great. What are you, you, know, you going to say? He's totally he's great. great. He's great, funny, smart. He's, you know, he's completely enjoyable in this. My favorite character is still Stanley Tucci as Caesar Flickerman. The host of the reality show, which follows the Hunger Games and the Quarter Quell. He's ju- he is just such a perfect entertainment journalist. He's, he's, he's charming. He's hostile. You he's can tell got he, glow-in-the-dark white teeth. Uh, you can tell he hates everybody and hates himself, <laughs> but he's just making too much money to stop. It's just, he's, God, he's just perfect in that role. He's so good. I, I will say... I thought this was significantly weaker than the oh. first film. Yeah, I Are really did. Are you sure did. you're not just falling into second chapter malaise? You know, I think the problem is this film starts out so slow. It takes an hour to get anywhere, and it's just a lot of talk, a lot of setup, a lot of exposition. When the action starts, I, you know, I got back into it. I got my heart pumping. I, was, I liked it. The characters are really colorful. My problem – here's my main problem with this movie – And I finally figured out why this rankles me and why the Twilight series also rankled me. This torn between two lovers stuff that we keep getting so much of in this movie. There was much less of that in the first and much more of that in this one. I don't like that stuff. And here's why. I feel like it trivializes the heroine. I feel like it makes her difficult to take seriously. This is why I I felt like... The twi- I feel like a lot of people felt like the Twilight movies were the anti-feminist franchise and why The Hunger Games is in danger of falling into that trap. When you've got a heroine who doesn't know her own mind, it's very hard to look at her as a strong-willed woman who knows what she's doing and knows what she wants. She just seems like a teenage coquette. I understand where you're coming from, Rafer, but here's where I disagree with you. Okay. Unlike the Twilight saga, this is not 
a girl whose whole story is about choosing between two lovers. This is I agree. one additional thing in her life because she's a whole person. She's not a perfect woman. She's not a robot. And part of being a whole person means you also weigh your feelings in life, whether it's about love or whether it's about your family, about other things. I don't think having emotions and falling in love make you a weak person. I don't think choosing between those things make you a weak person. I think what makes it sad and weak is when that's your only decision you ever make in life and I, when you're defined only by that. I think that's where the problem comes in. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, that, that that's, not, that's not the whole person. And that is, that is a good point. But I think, again, that was one of my problems with the film, aside from just the kind of what I found really slow pacing for most of it. I think this is not quite as good a date as the original. Whereas I disagree. I think it might be even better than the original. Wow. I, I say this is a great date. Wow. Really, okay. really good date. Okay. Really enjoyed Hunger Games Catching Fire. Okay. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, okay. Well, now we're going to turn to some listener mail, Kristen. And last mm. week I had a listener read me the riot act. And uh, this week someone is reading it to both of us. And yeah. And, and to me in particular, actually. Sort of, yeah. I think – well, I guess that's right. Sort of to you in particular. But, um, but I, I, I come in for some lumps here. This, this comes to us from Alika. Here is what she says. My husband is obsessed with podcasts and other such nonsense, so I have honestly tried to like the two of you. I'm sorry to say I just can't do it anymore after yet another negative review of a quote-unquote black movie. I totally understand how a middle-aged white guy, I think that's me, and an Asian woman from the Midwest would not understand black comedy, but you can at the very least appreciate how a black comedy would be funny and relevant to those it is intended for. I was at least glad that Best Man gave me an opportunity to genuinely have fun at the movies while looking at some people that resemble me. Your characterizations of the movie as a, quote, dysfunctional family holiday story shows how little you really understood the plot from its inception. I personally feel you are overlaying a trite and cliched home-for-the-holidays white movie plot line to try and categorize this movie because you simply didn't understand it. Your show is dribble. And I can invariably predict what your opinions will be, especially regarding movies for people of color. In short, do better. Mm. That is from Alika. And since I went on my emotional tirade last week, I'm going to let you handle this one, (laughs) Kristen. Well, as always, we love it when you write and call in. So, Alika, thank you so much for writing. We love when people listen closely enough and feel deeply enough about what we're saying to feel the need to write in. So thank you. Thank you. I have to point out that your letter was about five times longer than this. We had to do an abridged we version did, of we your did letter. Edit. Yeah, we edited quite a bit because we for just for time, um, but not for tone and not for content. And we hope we kept all the points in that you wanted kept in there. So first and foremost, I want to agree with you that there are not enough movies with all black casts or even half black casts. And I think that as we've seemingly become more enlightened over the last decade or so, and we've seen more integrated casts, like on TV, we have Community or we have Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. um, And in the movies, we have Grown Ups, The Watch, Hot Tub Time Machine, these kind of integrated casts. We've also seen the black or the all black cast completely disappear, like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on TV, Cosby Show, Frank's Place, Living Single, which was a show I loved because Queen Latifah was on it, of course. You know I love the Queen. Mm -hmm. And then in movies, of course, we had my favorite, Coming to America, but also Lean on Me, House Party, Cool Runnings, Boys in the Hood. So it's kind of a shame that we've become so enlightened that we no longer need, according to Hollywood standards, so many all-black casts. So, Alika, I just want to say I'm acknowledging that, yeah, I totally get that. Um, But... 
I also want to point something else out. While you accurately point out that Rafer and I are not black, that's true. True. Rafer, you are Latino. Yep. And I am Asian, so we have some idea of how it feels like to not be represented in film or to be rarely represented. And I totally get your excitement and your joy when you see somebody who looks like you on screen. I can say for myself, I almost never see Asian Americans on screen. I think the number of them in the U.S. film industry that are household names, we could probably count on one hand, right? right? Sure, yeah. There are almost none of them. So um, I do understand how that feels. But as for black comedy... Um, I want to point out something else. I don't think there's such a thing as, quote, black comedy. I think that we're dealing with a population that's so huge and diverse. In America, to say there's such a thing as black comedy is to say that then somebody who loves Wyatt Cenac, who hates Tyler Perry, that something's wrong with them, or somebody who loves awkward black girl but um, hates Richard Pryor. I mean, I, I think that it's just way too much of a diverse community and too much of a diverse art world for us to say there's such a thing as just black comedy. So all that being said, I want to agree with you. I'm not black. <laughs> I can't tell you what it's like to live as a black person and to have black experiences in America. I can only tell you what it's like to be an Asian person in America. Rafer, you can only say what it's like to be a Latino person in America. That's true. But um, and all that being said, so I you're right. I do look at movies through a certain lens. We all look at movies through a yeah. certain lens. And the lens I saw Best Man Holiday through was definitely the dysfunctional family holiday movie. And uh, I, I do have to say that, you know, this has nothing to do with being white-centric because the dysfunctional family holiday movie is in so many different cultures and races. We have sure. Medea's Family Reunion. We have The Family Stone. We have Nothing Like the Holidays, which is a Latino cast. We have Fitzgerald Family Christmas, which is working-class Irish-American cast. And all of these movies have the same elements that we saw in Best Man Holiday. We have sure. somebody who is hiding the fact that they're having difficulty at work. We have someone bringing home a boyfriend or girlfriend who nobody is quite ready for or expecting. We have somebody who's hiding a pregnancy or who actually is pregnant. And, yes, we always have a mom who's dying. Yes. There's always a mom <laughs> yes, who's there's, dying. There's so, somebody is yes. always terminally ill. That yes. is true. That so. is true. It's, it's, it, yeah, the dysfunctional <laughs> family comedy, you know, it's a, it's a complete trope it is it is a it's a it's a chestnut it is a formula you you Kristen you mentioned um Fitzgerald family Christmas uh Ed Burns who made that film got the idea from Tyler Perry when they <laughs> when they were working together on Alex Cross <laughs> Tyler Perry gave him some advice and said you got to serve your you got to serve your base you're Irish American <laughs> serve that base dude and he did so I, I want to return to your primary criticism Alika and that is that Reefer and I never give black cast films good reviews and I want you to know I did some research. I looked back at the last several years of podcasts that we've been doing, and what I found was we actually gave just over half of them good reviews, which is exactly the same rate we give white-led films. Sounds about right. Yeah, just over half of our films overall, whether it's black cast, white cast, or other cast, we tend to give good reviews to. So among them, just like in the last year and a half, Sparkle, Baggage Claim, Fruitvale Station, 12 Years a Slave, 42, Think Like a Man. That's just a few of them we gave good reviews to in love the last sparkle. year and a half. Oh, love it so much. And I also want to point out that you might not have heard the whole podcast last week because you would have heard that during our movie therapy session, not one but both of the movies I recommended had black leads. One was Last Holiday and one was Do the Right Thing by That's Spike right. Lee. So That's right. all that being said, please, Alika, I just want to reiterate, I want to make clear, Rafer and I 
always do the best we can. Sometimes we mess up. We're not perfect. And we always try to explain and apologize when we do mess up. And we love it when you write in to point out things to us. But please, if you could just listen back a little bit and maybe give us the benefit of the doubt. And call in. Call. <laughs> I like it when people call. 5717movies. Call. Yes. So I'm sorry. That was probably a too long explanation, too. But um, we really appreciate your writing into us, Alika. Yes. So thank you. Thank you, Alika. Okay. So next up, more listener mail from Sarah. So for this week's movie therapy, we had from Sarah the question. She was looking on Netflix and um, are you a Netflix subscriber? I am. Rafer? Okay. So you know how each row, it'll be lined up like romantic comedies and it'll show a whole row of movies. And right. then foreign movies and show a whole row of movies. So Sarah writes in. She says, Dear Movie Date, I want a single row of the action, quote, adventure section of Netflix to have more than one movie with a female lead. Why is that too much to ask? <laughs> oh, Sarah, we feel your pain. Yeah. We do. Because as you know, if you listen to the podcast, Rafer and I love female action heroes. We do. I love them. Yeah. They're great. So, Rafer, you had an idea of how to respond to Sarah for this week's movie therapy. Well, I think I think we, we would like to give you, we're going to give you some suggestions of female action movies, female-led or at least at least female-centric uh, with with major major roles and activities going to the females in the movies, we're going to give you some suggestions. Uh, we're going to try to give you about forty, actually, and uh, we're going to make them rhyme. Because you know why? Why not? <laughs> Kristen, go. All right, let's get serious, folks. Hansel and Gretel: Witch Hunters, starring Gemma Arterton. You'll get more chicks and Kickass Two, but I also like Kickass One. Hannah is so-so, but you'll see Circe Ronan. For animated films, try Disney's Tangled and Mulan. Sandra Bullock has made a few. The Heat, The Net, and Gravity. Speed doesn't quite count, but what about Miss Congeniality? Haywire, Barbwire, and Barbarella. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Whale Rider, La Femme Nikita. Sucker Punch slightly sucks, so maybe try Girl Fight. And if you want a classic, don't forget Bonnie and Clyde. Cleopatra Jones, Foxy Brown, Ms. 45. Anything from Fast and Furious, but especially Fast Five. Charlie's Angels and Full Throttle, both volumes of Kill Bill. Death Proof, Planet Terror, Machete and Machete Kills. Panic Room Flight Plan, The Brave One for Foster fans. Tank Girls, Bad Girls, G.I. Jane, Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> the best we could awful. do. It's the best we could do. <laughs> My final pick is Hunger Games. Rafer, what's yours before we go? Mine stars Kira Knightley. It's Tony Scott's Domino. Woo! Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Ah, Kristen, crunchy. take us out on, on some trivia. <laughs> okay. So for last week's trivia, we asked in honor of Alexander Payne, Alexander Payne, who gave us Nebraska last week, yes. is famous for making these kind of small, quiet films like Sideways and uh, The Descendants. But he also wrote a first draft of a certain comedy blockbuster that we played you a clip of. Here's the clip. Um, we want a traditional wedding, too, one with a lot of photographs for evidence. Evidence for our future children so they can see what a beautiful chapel this yeah. is. That's nice. The final version of that film did not use Alexander Payne's screenplay. That is so sad. It's so sad. So sad. But um, we, 
in any event, we asked you to identify what was that movie that got made without his script. And we, of course, randomly draw a winner every week. And this week, we randomly drew Jill. Jill writes, the answer to this week's trivia is something like, I Chuck take you, Larry, with, Kev- <laughs> with Kevin James and Adam Sandler. I didn't want to IMDb it because that's pretty cheaty. So I'll take my lumps if I'm not quite accurate. No, that's, I think we're going to give that one we're to gonna you. We're going to give it to you. We, we love your answer. If you went, if you went Google-free and IMD-free, I think you deserve a little credit there. Absolutely. So, Jill, the, real, the, the real title, Kristen? I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, a movie I personally love. Yes. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> Well, this, what, what's this week's trivia question? All right. This week's trivia, because we were talking about my favorite character in The Hunger Games, who is Caesar Flickerman, the game show host played by Stanley Tucci. Here's the question. What real-life game show host played a version of himself in another dystopian action film? If you can name the host and the movie, give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. Or, as always, go to Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast. Danger!